Good morning, Hope Church. How are you guys doing? Good. Aren't you glad she didn't take my picture? I am. But uh, it's good to see you all here this morning on this lovely, lovely end of January day. But uh, this is the day that the Lord has made, so I will rejoice and be glad in it, right? Right? We choose joy despite our circumstances. But I bet many of you are wondering if this morning I'm going to begin with a question. No. No, I'm not. But I'll get to some questions. Don't worry. We'll have one or two or three or more coming up before too long. But I do want to share this with you. Uh, my children, who are now in their 30s, which is sort of hard to understand since Nancy and I are just in our 40s. Why is everyone laugh when I say that? But, uh... Now, my kids were born at a time when Disney was either releasing or re-releasing a lot of the popular animated films. And this was back in the VHS tape days. So we procured several of these Disney videos. I think my wife still has them down in the basement somewhere. And look, I'm not a big fan of too much screen time for kids, too much television, not a good thing. But, but sometimes, sometimes a movie can be a good form of entertainment. And to be honest with you, sometimes we'd watch these movies as a family. And I vividly remember the first one that they really became enamored with, and that was 101 Dalmatians. 101 Dalmatians. That was kind of a cute movie, like the first 20 times, right? I mean, but then they learned to hit the rewind and then the play button, and they would just like loop it, and it's like, stop, 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 go do something else. But eventually we did get them interested in kind of branching out some of the other Disney movies, and one that really stands out to me is Aladdin. Aladdin. Another fun movie to watch. The first ten or so times, right? And I, I'm sure you all know the story, right? Aladdin finds this lamp. He rubs it. A genie pops out. And the genie tells Aladdin that he gets three wishes. And by the way, no wishing for more wishes. Well, Aladdin, at first, really doesn't know what to wish so, for, so he asks the genie. He says, genie, what would you wish for? And without hesitation, the genie says, freedom. Freedom. He says, oh, to be free, not to have to go, poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? To be my own master, such a thing would be greater than all the magic and all the treasures of the world. And you know, what really struck me is the poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? Probably more correctly, the genie is asking, what do you want? The genie is asking, what are the desires of your heart? Now, if you were Aladdin, question number one, and you, were, and you had a genie that granted you three wishes, what is it you would ask for? What are the desires of your heart? And really, the desires that you articulate will tell you a lot 
about your heart. Now, we're in a series of messages entitled, Questions Jesus Asked. And we've said this before, I'll say it again, Jesus asked a lot of questions. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 307 or so that are recorded in the New Testament. And Jesus asked these questions for a reason. And he asked probing questions. He was always drawing others into relationship and encouraging them to think. See, Jesus knew that questions are a great communication tool. I love what James Ryan, the dean of Harvard Graduate School of Education, says. He says, questions are like keys. The right question asked at the right time will open a door to something you don't yet know, something you haven't yet realized, or something you haven't even considered about others or about yourself. And as we study these questions that Jesus asked, we want to use these as a key. A key that will open the door to our hearts, that we might know God better, that we might know others better, but more importantly, that we might know ourselves better. Now the question that we look at today asks... What do you want me to do for you? And really, the question is, what are the desires of your heart? And it's not a genie from a lamp that's asking us, it's Jesus. Now, our scripture for this morning is from Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're going to begin at verse 35 and work our way through to the end of the chapter. And we're going to see something really interesting. What's interesting is that Jesus asked this question, what do you want me to do for you? He asked it two times. The first time to a couple of his disciples, and the second time to a blind man. And we're going to compare and contrast those two scenarios. Now, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a passage from Mark chapter 8. And we said that that passage in Mark chapter 8 was really a turning point for Jesus in his ministry. And it was from that pagan town that Jesus took his disciples to in Mark chapter 8. Does anybody remember the name of that town? Extra credit? Anybody? Caesarea Philippi? Does that ring a bell? Yeah. So from Caesarea Philippi, Jesus and his disciples began this journey to Jerusalem. They were moving to the cross. And much of what Jesus is teaching now in these last eight chapters is revealing the true reason that he would come that he'd come. You know, what was going to happen to him when they got to Jerusalem? That he must die. He must die on a cross and he must rise again from the dead. In fact, if you recall in chapter 8, we read the first time. The first time that Jesus told his disciples what must happen. That he must be handed over. That he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. And that he must be killed. But then rise again on the third day. And he spoke very plainly about this back in Mark chapter 8. 
Now, in Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus telling the disciples for a third time. This is the third time he's telling them what must happen. In the verses immediately preceding our story for today, in verses 33 and 34, Jesus tells them that he would be handed over to the Gentiles and that he would be killed. But after three days, he would rise again. But I don't think the disciples are getting it yet. You know, just like we saw Peter, we, we said, I think he's starting to get it. And then we go, oh, no, Peter's not getting it. We see the same thing here. Because this is exactly what happens right after Jesus tells him what must happen. Beginning at verse 35. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, <laughs> we really have to stop here for a minute and, and just, and just I'm, I'm amazed at the, at the unabashed hubris, right? The, 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 the bravado. You know, talk about approaching your situation with a sense of entitlement. And I can really kind of imagine, you know, James and John you know, yep, we're disciples, hanging with the big guy here. Yep. Been following him for almost three years. Yeah, we're 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 actually part of the inner circle. Well, not just part of the part of the twelve or part of the disciples. We're part of the inner circle. We're Jesus' closest friends. We're kind of a big deal. But Jesus responds, and I can sort of imagine him. Maybe with a little bit of a slight grin, right? Maybe a little chuckle. And he says, What do you want me to do for you? They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And again, you go, Wow, the audacity. But see, this just proves that they're still not hearing what Jesus is saying. They're still not getting it. Because James and John are saying basically, yeah, you know, we know you're the Messiah. Yeah, we know that you've come to rescue Israel. And we know you're going to Jerusalem. But you're going there, you're going to topple the Roman government. And you're going to establish your kingdom here on earth. And we want in. We want in. We want positions. Positions of highest power at your right and at your left. In verse 38, Mark writes, You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And again, James and John, they're still thinking in terms of the worldly ideas concerning the kingdom of God. They're still thinking that, yeah, the Messiah is there to free Israel, but free them from the Roman oppression. So they have no idea what it takes to be great in the kingdom of God. But you know, it wasn't because Jesus hadn't told them. No, in fact, Jesus has been telling them all along. He told them three times. And this cup, this cup that Jesus referred to, this is the cup that we read about in Jeremiah 25. In Jeremiah 25, 15, it is the cup of the wrath of God. 
That's the cup that Jesus is speaking about, the wrath of God. That's why Jesus prays in the garden in Matthew 26, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. May, this, may, this, may your wrath be taken away from me. Jesus is expressing the desire of his heart at that moment. But then he adds, yet not as I will, but as you will. And what an incredible model for our prayers. And this Greek word here that's used for baptism, it's, it's not baptism as we think of being dunked in the water, no. This, this word really refers to being overwhelmed by disaster. It's kind of where we get the phrase baptism by fire. And that's what Jesus is asking of James and John here. He's like, can you do what I'm about to do? <laughs> what do James and John say? They say, we can. They're like, yeah, no problem. I mean, come on, we've been following you for three and a half years now. How much worse can it really get? See, again, clearly, James and John, they're just not getting it because if they had been listening to what Jesus had been telling them, they probably would have been going like, yeah, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, I can't, I can't do that. But James and John are so caught up in Jesus' popularity and his power and this idea that the Messiah would come to set them free from this political oppression and set up an earthly kingdom. They're so caught up in this that they miss what Jesus is asking them. And they have no idea what it is they're asking of Jesus. But I want you to notice that Jesus, he doesn't ridicule them. He doesn't laugh in their faces. He doesn't chastise them. He's actually quite compassionate. And his response shows that compassion. And he makes it clear. He, ma- he, just, he just makes it crystal clear for them that their mission, that the desires of their heart, it doesn't line up with Jesus' mission and the will of God. And then we see that Jesus, he, he gives them a little dose of reality, you know, at the end of verse 39. But then he kind of lets them down easy in verse 40. He says there, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So Jesus gives them a little bit of glimpse into the future. And, and we know from history, we know from Acts chapter 12, that James was, in fact, the first disciple martyred. He was the first disciple put to death because he was a Christian. Now John, we know that he probably wasn't martyred, but he was exiled, right? He was exiled to the island of Patmos. And this, after, according to Tertullian, had been dipped in boiling oil. He survived that and was exiled. And all of this was due to his Christianity. So Jesus is telling them, 
He's telling them, albeit in a very compassionate way, he's saying, you guys, you don't understand. You don't have enough information to understand what I, God, am up to. Yes, Jesus asks them what he can do for them. Thereby really asking, what are the desires of your heart? And I wonder, I wonder how often we come to Jesus and say, I want you to do whatever I ask. And this is exactly what I want. This is the way it should be. Now, don't get me wrong. Because Jesus does want to know the desires of your heart. He's asking each and every one of us this morning, what do you want me to do for you? And yes, it's okay to pray for that new job. It's okay to pray for a raise. It's okay to pray for healing. It's okay to pray for a drastic change in your circumstances. But see, very often Jesus says no. No, I'm not going to give you that because that's not part of my plan. You just don't understand. You don't have enough information. You know, maybe that desire of your heart, maybe that isn't what you need. And we know that Jesus will never give us what we don't need. You know, James and John, they asked for these positions of power, right? Maybe these positions of power would have, would, have, would have corrupted them. Maybe it would have destroyed them. It wasn't what they needed. And praise God that he won't just give us all that we want. But praise God that he will always give us exactly what we need. You know, in the following verses, Mark kind of pulls back and gives us a wider view, a little bit of visibility to really um, all the disciples. Verse 41, he says, When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. You know, so the other other disciples, they see James and John huddled up with Jesus, and they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, what's going on over there? See, this, this, this subject of who would be greatest among them Like I said, this is a common topic for them. We see it in the previous chapter, in chapter 9, where the disciples are arguing about who would be greatest. We see similar discussions, arguments recorded in Matthew 18 and Luke 22. But see, Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them what it takes to be great in the kingdom of God, not in the world. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So Jesus here, he's kind of pointing out the vanity, right, and the pride that we see in the leaders of the world, those leaders that lord their power and status over those for whom they are responsible That's not how leaders are supposed to lead. Leaders are supposed to lead with humility. Humility, not pride and arrogance. The key key is servant, servant leadership. 
And that's exactly what Jesus is going to teach him about. Beginning at verse 43, he says, not so with you. In other words, you guys aren't going to lead like that. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And here again, Jesus is making it absolutely clear why he came to earth. He came for our benefit. He came to serve us. And he does that by laying down his life. By paying the price for our sins. A price that we could never pay. He gave his life as a ransom for you. He humbled himself. And he died for you. Oh, he could have come as the conquering hero like they all wanted. That was the desires of their heart. But Jesus said, no. No. I'm not going to give you what you want. I am going to give you what you need. And what you need is forgiveness and salvation. In this next section of our passage for this morning, Jesus continues to teach him about this concept. Starting in verse 46, he says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David! Have mercy on me. So Jesus and his disciples, they're continuing on this journey, right? The journey to Jerusalem. The journey to the cross. And remember that they're on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the big Jewish feasts. It was very common for Israelites to make this pilgrimage. So, so this road was crowded. It says there was a crowd. And then they get to the outskirts of this city, Jericho. And there are the beggars. The blind, the lame, the invalids. I mean, these were the societal outcasts. They were the expendables. They were the unclean. Remember, Physical maladies back then, people considered that to be a direct result of one's sin. is isn't necessarily true, but that's what was taught. That was what was believed. And we see Bartimaeus. And he hears that it's Jesus passing by. And he knows this name. He's heard this name because Jesus' reputation as a healer, it precedes him. It's well known. And Bartimaeus knows that Jesus can heal him. And he cries out and he calls him Son of David. And we know from our study at Christmas that Son of David is a messianic name. So it tells us that Bartimaeus has some idea of who this Jesus of Nazareth is. And he cries out, have mercy on me.
And I just want us to stop and ponder for a moment about how James and John approach Jesus as opposed to how Bartimaeus approaches Jesus. Do we see the stark difference? You know, James and John, they approach Jesus with this, with this prideful attitude, this attitude of entitlement. And Bartimaeus with humility and faith. Verse 48 tells us, Many rebuked him and told him, Be quiet! But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me! See, to the crowds, this this insignificant blind man was nothing more than a distraction for Jesus. And they tell him to pipe down. But you have to admire his persistence because he didn't give up. He didn't give up. He got Jesus' attention. And there's another lesson for us in here, and that is persistence in prayer. Never, ever, ever give up praying for whatever it is you're praying for. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. I find it very interesting that it seems like the attitude of the crowd has changed now that Jesus is paying attention to the man, right? Just a minute, they're going, shut up. Now they're saying, cheer up. And then in verse 51, we see Jesus ask this blind man the question that we're wrestling with today. And I can kind of picture him just maybe looking over his shoulder. James and John, are you you listening to this? And he says, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. And I just, it's so interesting that, that Jesus asked the very same question verbatim that he asked of James and John after their really absurd request. Two diametrically opposed approaches to Jesus, yet Jesus has the same response to each. And in this, friends, we see and we get this sense of equality, right? Equality. See, Bartimaeus, he hadn't spent the last three years of his life following Jesus. No, he just met him. He wasn't one of the disciples. He wasn't one of the twelve. He wasn't one of the inner circle. Yet Jesus responds to Bartimaeus the same way he responded to his closest friends. It's a reminder, friends, that God hears all of our prayers. He hears everyone, regardless of our status. Rich, poor, educated, not Spoken prayers, silent prayers, ridiculous or reasonable, any language, any time, no matter the context, no matter the request, God opens his heart and opens his ears to the desires of our hearts. And he says it to us too. 
What do you want me to do for you? So how did Jesus respond to the blind man's request for sight? Verse 52, he said, go. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Bartimaeus humbled himself before Jesus. And he believed that Jesus could heal him. So I have another question for you. Shocking, right? How do you approach God when you come to him? Are you like James and John? Prideful? With a sense of entitlement? Saying, God, I want you to do for me whatever I ask. Really trying to manipulate and trying to control your circumstances, thinking you know what's best. Maybe saying, you know better than God. Or are you like Bartimaeus, crying out to him, God, have mercy on me. See, I want you to know that neither approach will manipulate God into doing what you want. And God's answer is yes or is no. That doesn't necessarily depend on our faith either. I mean, nowhere in the scripture does it say that Bartimaeus' faith was any stronger or any better or any purer than James and John's. Yet God granted Bartimaeus' request. To James and John, he said, no. But see, friends, that doesn't change the fact that Jesus wants to know, he wants to hear from you, he wants to hear the desires of your heart. And he stands before each of us today and asks, what do you want me to do for you? And friends, it just blows my mind that the God of creation, the eternal God, the one and only Son of God who humbled Himself when He came and lived as one of us, He allowed Himself to be tortured. He was hung on a cross and He died for you and for me and was raised on the third day. Blows my mind that he says, what do you want me to do for you? See, when we look at what he's already done for us, what he's already done for us, knowing that we should come to Jesus and say, no, 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 Jesus, what can I do for you? It's fine to come to Jesus with our prayers and our problems, and our petitions. But how often, friends, do we ask Jesus, what can I do for you? Probably not often enough. So this question that Jesus asks, I hope it makes us think. I hope it is the key 
to unlocking a door. And that we would learn something about ourselves. And know that, that, that God is not just some genie saying, Poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? I pray that we would all honestly look at ourselves, look at our wants, our desires, our prayers. Jesus asks, What do you want me to do for you, friends? I pray that our response would be, No, Jesus, no. What do you want me to do for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and praise you. And we thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers, that you answer our prayers. And Lord, we know that They're not always answered the way we want them. Sometimes the answer is no. But Lord, our faith, our trust is in you and what you know to be best for us, for each one of us, for this church, for this world. And Father, as we meditate on the incredible sacrifice that you made for us. May we turn that question around, Lord, and ask you, Lord, what can I do for you? I pray that would be the desires of our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.